Okay, I want to warn you. I walked into uh, our room last night, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I do not want to preach this sermon. (laughs) I go, why do we take a job at a church that goes verse by verse? Because topical, the beauty of topical sermons is you get to avoid things you don't want to talk about. But when you go verse by verse, guess what happens? You can't avoid it or run from it, and there it is. And you gotta, you got to teach on it. And so, guys, I, I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to go into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17 today. And some of you have read ahead, and you know what's coming today. Some of you haven't, and you're like, what's happening? And then you're going to know. Um, this is... I don't know how else to say it. This this is going to challenge every single one of us. This is going to bring conviction. Uh, This is going to illuminate stuff in your heart, in your life, that you wish you didn't see. And and it's going to bring to mind certain things that have transpired, probably more recently than we'd like to admit. And it's going to call us out. The beauty is, it's all of us together in this, right? Just smile. Just go. Okay? Okay? But I want to give you that heads up because literally what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about a section of scripture where we are called as Jesus followers to honor those in authority and in particular those in governmental authority. Yeah, I know. Shoot, I already sat down. I got my coffee. Uh, You guys, when we look at uh, this section of scripture and and then we take it, you know, through the lens of every once in a while, right? We go into scripture and we go, man, this... This unfortunately hits right now, and it deals with what I'm dealing with in my life. And you guys, I I, I think we can all agree that uh, the last two years, and and we know it's been further back than the last two years, but the last two years have really been this culmination of division, uh, animosity, anger, our, our differences, uh, and, 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 and really, you know, COVID and these other things that have happened have really just brought all of these things that we've kind of been able to avoid. And it's just brought them all to the surface, hasn't it? And in the most inconvenient of ways. And, and, and so what we've seen uh, in ourselves, in our friendships, in our family, in our coworkers, in everything else is we've seen and we felt strong thoughts, right? Very strong thoughts, very strong uh, opinions. And we've seen these things spill over into all of our relationships, right? There, there's no space in your life that this hasn't impacted you on some level. Okay, some of you, maybe you come from a family and you all kind of view things the same way. Um, and, and so you've kind of like huddled up, but then there's other, others of us that we've got family and we're looking at everything through a different lens. Some of you are in marriages where you're looking at it from a different lens and you're like, oh, right? And it is so, so difficult. And so what's happened is uh, we've lost our tempers in a lot of situations, haven't we? Lost our tempers. We've, uh, we've said things, we've done things, we've posted things that we shouldn't. And as time has progressed, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I've started to reflect more. And I've started to reflect on those moments that I go, oh, that was tough. 
wish I wouldn't have said that, wish I would have said that. And I've started to just ask myself the difficult question that we need to ask ourselves this morning that we're going to be confronted with is, how have my responses aligned with God's word? And that's ultimately what we have to address this morning. And that's ultimately what Peter addresses in this letter to these Jesus followers scattered all throughout the known world who are just uh, asking, how do I live for God? How do I honor Jesus in a culture that's against me, where I'm feeling persecution, where I'm going through trials? What does it look like? Because remember, this is kind of a new thing, and they're all asking those questions. What does it look like? And so Peter is responding, and a huge piece to following Jesus and the impact, the witness you're going to have is, how do you do that with authority, when you're under authority? And so you guys, this morning, as we unpack this, I'm going to do my very best, and it's going to be inadequate, I'm going to do my very best to unpack Scripture straightforward to you uh, in hopes that God delivers whatever he needs to deliver in us. Amen? Careful with that amen. All right. First Peter chapter 2. Let's look at 11 and 12. 11 and 12. It says this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, now once again, all of this is in light of what? This, this new salvation, this new birth that they've experienced as a result of giving their lives to Jesus. And so he's been speaking to this new hope, this living hope that they now live with. Um, and, and he's been talking about how this transforms your relationships, uh, in particular your relationships with other Jesus followers, um, how you view uh, the world, um, how you walk through trials. He's been addressing all of these things in light of that. And, and, and he kicks off this section by, first of all, just saying, listen, you are beloved. You are beloved. You guys, sometimes we just need to be reminded that we are beloved. Right? Thank you. Come on. We're in this together this morning. We're in this together. You showed up. So if you're online, baby, you've already clicked off. But we need to be reminded of his love for us. And Peter says, listen, Peter is saying, listen, this is tough. This is challenging. You are beloved though. Don't lose sight of that. You are beloved children of Jesus Christ. You are, he has chosen you, selected you. He has redeemed you. You are beloved. And, and so as the beloved, as his beloved, I'm going to remind you again, you are exiles. You are sojourners in this world. He reminds them of this, this thing that we looked at before, right? If you are a Jesus follower in this room, this world is not your permanent dwelling place. This isn't it for you, right? You are a sojourner. You are a traveler. You are visiting here. And so Peter's like, wherever you are at, scattered around the world as Jesus followers, you're just visiting there. Okay, so don't make that your home. You have a different home. Your eternal home is heaven. Now, some of you have had the privilege of traveling outside of the country. I probably exclude Canada because it's like, oh, this is the same. But like when you travel outside the country into a totally different culture, you notice, don't you? 
right? I, I mean, you, you walk and you're very aware. There's etiquette. There's, there's a way of doing things. There's even how you, how you dress and that. And if you're in some of these other cultures in different countries, they'll look at you and they'll laugh at you. And, and you'll go, well, what? And you're different. It's clear that's not your home. The world should be able to look at us by how we live our lives, and it should be clear that this is not our home. It should be clear that we're different. And so he's reminding them that their posture, their attitude, their heart, how they live should be different because this isn't their permanent dwelling space. Okay, and, and what does he go into here? He talks about what? As sojourners, there are these what? These fleshly battles, this, 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 uh, he, he talks about this war that is going on against us, doesn't he? And this war is our, our fleshly desires. As we're here, as we're, as we're visiting through, the temptation is to take on the very characteristics of the place that is not to be our home. And so not only as we live are we to keep that in mind, but we're also to, to be honestly in this like mindset of this isn't like a vacation, right? Like, like for some of us, we signed up to be a Jesus follower and we wanted the all-inclusive vacation, right? We wanted the beachfront, we wanted the food and drinks included, and we were going to enjoy it. And then we read verses like this. And, and we realize that, no, he's called us out of this other lifestyle and invited us into this, this living hope, this reality that, that heaven is your eternal home. And with that, while you're here in this world, you are going to face spiritual warfare. You are going to face this continual temptation from these fleshly lusts, these desires that we have. And... Um, Literally, it's described in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He covered pretty much all of them, didn't he? Pretty impressive. And, and, and he's not saying if you fall into that, if you struggle with something there, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is if these are character qualities of your life and you just do them and you're unbothered by participating in doing them, you're not a Jesus follower. Because there's no way you could be okay with living habitually in those sins. So he calls us out of that. And the, the reality is this, when he talks about this waging war, this this term, it's a strong term that generally means to carry out a long-term military campaign. So what does this remind us of? When you win a battle, the war isn't over. Man, we, we, we get in trouble sometimes because we go through a difficult season, a challenging season, uh, or, or something where we can just feel our, our flesh uh, literally, and, and we can fight, see it just fighting. We're fighting with our spirit and, and, and we're going, ah, I don't want to do that. I, I, I can be, I, I don't have to do that. I can, I can get away from that. I don't, I don't have to participate. And there's this battle going on, isn't there? And sometimes we walk away and we're victorious and we're just like, I did it. I did it. I did it. The, the, the problem though is you guys, this is a war. There's many battles. And so it's really tough. It's difficult. 
And so he's saying, listen, there is this constant warfare. You gotta be on your guard. And then he uses the word Gentiles here. And when he uses the word Gentiles here, the Gentiles are around you, they're watching. He's not talking about race here. He's referencing unsaved people, people that are not followers of Jesus. And what he's saying, and it's very applicable to us, is unsaved people are watching us. They're watching you. And, and they're, they're, they're not just watching you, they're speaking against you. They're speaking against you. And they're looking at your life and they're looking for excuses to reject the gospel. Whew, that's tough to think about, isn't it? Right? None of, us likes, none of us like to think about people speaking negatively about us. But Peter's like, listen, they are, they are talking trash about you. And, and, and you guys, if you're, if you're a Jesus follower and people know that, they're talking about you. They are. And not only are they talking about you, they are looking for something in your life to validate a reason to reject the gospel. And so we're to be aware as we live, as, as, as we speak, the, and, and how we operate, that uh, we're to have lives that what? What does he say? We're to uh, have honorable lives, is what he says, right? Um, so when he talks about this, this honorable life, this word honorable, it implies much more than just telling the truth and doing what is right. It carries the idea with it of beauty. So when he says these honorable lives, he's not like, hey, this isn't just do's and don'ts. This is actually a word that represents beauty in your life. It's this attractiveness. It's this appealing uh, thing that will come out of your life um, as you live how Jesus has asked us to live and called us to live. And, and, and so he's, he's like, listen, in the midst of all that, you need to be proactive in living an honorable life, a beautiful life that people can see and notice. Um, it's, it's that time of year, right? Spring where all these flowers are, are blooming and everything. And in our backyard, we have a bunch of these rose bushes and they are just so beautiful. And we go out there every day and we're like, oh my goodness, these, look at these. And we're showing the kids. Uh, and they're like, wow, dad, wow. They're probably not like that. But my youngest, he just, he literally thinks it's his job to cut them. And he thinks it's a gift. And we've been very clear, stop cutting the flowers. Um, but they're beautiful. They smell great, right? And, and, and it's, it's literally like this. You walk outside and you want to go look at it. Guys, our lives should be the same thing, right? Our lives should be the same thing. People should be able to look at our lives, identify something different, and based upon the testimony of how you work, how you speak, how you act, they should go, I don't know what it is maybe, and maybe I don't even like Christians, but there's something about them. I'm drawn to it. And he literally speaks to this, and as he talks about it, it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 16, when he said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so Peter says that through observing the life of believers, these unbelievers, they will, some of them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, when it says on the day of visitation, in the Old Testament, when God would visit, it was for one of two reasons. It was judgment or blessing. 
Uh, but usually in the New Testament, when it speaks to visitation, it's indicating uh, blessing and redemption, which leads us to believe that what he's talking about here is that there's going to be people that observe their lives and see that difference and, and, and want that to where they're actually going to give their lives to Jesus and end up glorifying God, which is an inspiring thought, isn't it? Then he gets to the part where we go, this is why I'm here today. Verses 13 through 7, he says this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Okay. God expects believers to subject themselves or it may say in your translation, to submit themselves to every human institution, it says. Every human institution. Now, when it says submit or subject yourself, this is a, a military expression, literally meaning to arrange information under the commander. And, and, and the Greek word from which we get institution from, because we're like, what institution? What, what are those things? This, this word always occurs in the New Testament in connection with God's creative activities. Okay? Now, what does that mean? God has created all the foundation of human society, what work, family, and government. Okay? So... This is the Christian's responsibility toward all forms of rightful human authority, okay? It's to be in subject to or submit to. And, and, and Peter goes on to explain this generalized statement where he says in every uh, human institution, he goes on to explain this by applying it not only to civil government, as we're going to look at here, but he's also, and we'll look at this in the coming weeks, he's going to use this same uh, wording when it comes to servants and masters, wives and their uh, husbands. And, and, and he uses the word every for this so that we don't just compartmentalize it. This is so much bigger than just the government, Right? Um, literally, the, we're to apply this statement uh, for every situation where there's human authority, whether that's parents and children, whether that's church officers and attendees, whether that's uh, authority structures in business or educational institutions, right? This applies into all of those areas. You guys, God has established patterns of authority for the orderly functioning of human life, and it both pleases and honors him when we subject ourselves to them. Okay, now listen, I get it. That is tough, but part of our disconnect here is our understanding of the word submit or be subject to. This is another one of those uh, words and phrases that we need to redeem because culture has absolutely destroyed it. Okay, just like the fear of God, right? 
Um, when we think of these, these words, uh, you know, submit to authority or be subject to, place ourselves uh, under, you guys, what does that bring up into your life, right? Now, some of you have heard these very terms used, and you've heard them used maybe even by a spiritual leader, a pastor, or, or somebody else, and they're using those words, why? To gain control, right? They're trying to gain control of you. They're trying to get you to what? Do what they want you to do, right? Uh, and we see this played out. I, I remember uh, meeting with a college student, and, uh, and, and she, was, she was telling me about this guy that she was considering dating, and she goes, I just don't feel, he's, he's a Christian, and he says how involved he is, but he said something to me, and I didn't really like it. I just need your thoughts. And she goes, she goes, he said, you just need to submit to me in this and trust me. I said, he said, what? I said, does he go to our church? <laughs> I said, run for the hills. <laughs> um, but we've seen that used, haven't we? And in most contexts, when we've seen it used, it's been this control thing, manipulation thing. You guys, here's what you need to hear today because we need to redeem this whole concept as he's talking about it. Submission to authority isn't a result of sin, okay? Just not. It's also not a you're less than, okay? When you see that in scripture, it's not communicating you're less than, right? When we've heard it, in our culture, it's communicating what? You're less than. You're less than me. You're less than them. That is not the biblical definition or what God has created, okay? Like when we see submission or, 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 or uh, you know, submitting ourselves, placing ourselves as subjects to someone else's authority, you guys, God has created this. It's by his design, and, and we see it played out, right? Like there's authority among angels and the angels that are sinless. There's authority within them. There's a structure. There's a structure of authority uh, for the redeemed in heaven for all of eternity. And we don't go, oh, that's bad. No, we're looking forward to that. You guys, we see authority and submission in the very heart of the Trinity. Throughout Jesus' ministry, what did he continually say? I am submitted to the will of the Father. My life, my work, my words are under the submission of the Father. We see the Holy Spirit's work, right, is obedience, right? Now, we don't look at Jesus and go, oh, he's less than. Do we? You speak louder. I'm, this is a tough one. I know it's a holiday weekend, but we got to step up, Okay. Jesus is not less than, ever, ever. And, and we never look at him like that, right? But, but then we hear words of how he lived, how he talked, and we go, wait, that bumps up against how I feel about that word. And what he's telling us is this is what your version of submission is, is different than the version I've created and designed for your ultimate good. And, and you, and, and, and you got to take this less than attitude out of it. That's not true. It's not true of me. It's not true of the Spirit's work. Um, and so literally we are to, uh, obey, uh, earthly authority to honor God's sovereign authority. 
Okay, we, we, we obey and we honor authority. We place ourselves under uh, this because why we desire to honor God. You guys, who, for whose sake does it say it's for? For whose sake? For the Lord's sake, right? He says, do this for the Lord's sake. Guys, so, so what does that mean? It's not, our submission is never about the person. It's about Jesus. Where we get into tricky waters and difficult waters and where it gets muddy is we make our submission about the person, don't we? We make our, our willingness to place ourselves subject to someone based upon what? Them deserving that right. And we will question it, whether it's a teacher, a coach, a political figure, uh, a, a pastor, whoever it is, right? We are trained, especially in our culture, to go, why? Why should I? What gives you the right? Well, we are called as Jesus followers to place ourselves uh, under them, to submit to them as unto the Lord. In other words, it's about Jesus. It's not about them. It's never been about them. And so we do this to honor God. P Peter then takes this command into what? Our response towards the government. And he says to the people that they're to subject themselves under the emperor and governor. Now, submission to rulers, governors, emperors, all of that, it's right. And one of the main reasons it's right is because God's the one who sends them. Did you, did you see that? Now, we love to say God has sent them when it's a political figure that we agree with. Amen? When it's not, guess when we don't say that? We're like, God hasn't sent them. Satan sent them. Right? Come on. We'll be honest this morning. And so that's that, right? That's the general takeaway. That's the vibe. That's what we, that's what we say, right? But the reality is he's literally saying God has sent them. Now, nearly a decade before Peter wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul had already taught submission to government in Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, another section he have been like, how do I avoid this? Uh, he says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoer. An avenger. You're like, nah, -uh, that's Thanos, right? That ain't avenger. And, and, and so literally we see all of this written by Paul. And here's what's tough. This is what's tricky. This is what just puts this knot in our stomach, right? Is Peter and Paul, they both lived under the Roman Empire. Now, what does that mean? Well, you guys, the Roman Empire was absolutely infamous for its evil, for its sinfulness, its wickedness. I mean, we're talking, I mean, you want to study just atrocities and things that, that are just awful, wicked to the core. You guys study the Roman Empire. 
You will be blown away by things you read. And so they're writing this, these words, in that environment. And neither of them, unfortunately, I was looking for it, I've been looking for it for years, neither offer any exemption by which believers are free to defy civil authority outside of when that authority asks us to disobey God. That's tough, isn't it? Except when commanded to sin, we are called to place ourselves under their leadership. Now, what makes this even more amazing is when we reflect that the emperor of the Roman Empire, as Peter's writing this, is Nero, the most wicked one, probably, and was responsible for the slaughter of so many Christians and is the one who ultimately killed Peter. And so we think of that context. Then we think of this other governor who's pretty famous in our Bibles. who was sent by a Caesar, and his name was what? Pontius Pilate. And we go, wait a second. So Peter and Paul, they, they, knew. They, they, they knew the level of wickedness. They knew how evil Pontius Pilate was. They knew they were there when, when he literally had Jesus crucified. And so, guys, here's what's really tough about this. God expects Jesus' followers, Christians, to be subject to, to place ourselves under the authority of these human authorities, even when they're not a believer, even when they're immoral, even when they do things that are unjust, even when they make bad decisions. I want you to just once again go back to the example of Jesus. Jesus himself had justified and encouraged them to pay tribute to Caesar. To Caesar. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, 21, Jesus says these words, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, now wait a second, Jesus. I don't like where, where you're going here. You have this opportunity to call out the wickedness, the awful policies, the things that are just that have enslaved your own people. You've got this moment in time and you say, give to Caesar what are Caesar's? You guys, the more I study Jesus, the more I realize, man, he would have been canceled in our day. I mean, he would have been canceled quickly. And you know what? He would have been canceled by us because he would not have said what we wanted him to say, regardless of whatever side you're on. Guys, here's the thing. Remember, this is addressing all of us. It's not just like, well, I hope they're listening to this. This is all of us. And, and literally, when Jesus is, is saying this, you guys, he, he makes us upset. It's like, Jesus, why didn't you call out these atrocities? Why didn't you make an appoint to set that right? Uh, why, why didn't you raise up this group that was going to go against that? Why didn't you speak out against that? And then worst of all is this. This is what we would have spoken out against Jesus for sure, regardless of where you're at uh, on the political spectrum. Who does he invite into his inner circle? onto his team. A religious nationalist zealot, an extremist. It's like, hey, you're a part of the team. Right? Immediately. I don't know about you immediately off of that. We're done, aren't we? Aren't we? Let's be honest, how we treat people. We're done. Then the other, another person that he invites is who? 
a tax collector. You want to talk about bumping up against any desires of social justice, you have studied tax collectors. They will just destroy your view of justice. And, and Jesus invites him in. Cancel. Done. No, I'm not following that. I'm not following that leadership. I'm not following that team, right? You guys, Jesus was about something different, wasn't he? And how he responded. He was communicating that something's uh, different. And, and, and you guys, as Jesus lived and, and modeled what it looks like, do you guys realize that even in the face of this wicked governor named Pontius Pilate, that Jesus is, is able to literally uh, say that, listen, your authority hasn't just been given to you from Rome. Your authority has been given to you from heaven. I want you to just chew on that for a moment. Jesus is speaking this to a wicked ruler who is about to have him crucified. And Jesus, I don't know what that moment would have been like, but in heaven, I'm praying for that highlight reel option to go back and be there. This is where I'm going. I want to be there. When he says, listen, you think you have power. This power was given to you. That's tough. That's tough to swallow. It's tough to think about. Or to imitate his example, he was always focused on matters pertaining to his kingdom. His kingdom. And Peter stated that ruling officials have been sent by God. He, he states their purpose. They've been sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do right. And listen, we know throughout scripture and by studying the Old Testament that they are going to be judged by how they lead. They are going to be judged by those actions. They are going to be accountable to a perfect and holy God. But we also read that uh, in the face of opposition where you may be called to disobey God, we see this whole honorable uh, calling. We see it displayed. You guys, it is, it is possible to submit to the institution and yet still disobey the law. We, uh, a prime example is Daniel and his three friends. We see in the Old Testament, they refused to obey the king's dietary restrictions and regulations. They disobeyed the law. But when you look at how they did it, they, the way they did it, it proved that they actually honored the king and respected the authorities. It's incredible how they do that. And if you ever want to look at somebody that rose the ranks in a culture that was very anti, look at the life of Daniel. It will blow you away. Uh, and, and we just think of how they acted. Like they weren't rebels to that. They were very careful not to even embarrass the official who was in charge because uh, they didn't want to get him in trouble. And so they stood their ground. They stood their ground. They, they glorified God. And yet at the same time, they honored the authority of the king. Peter and the other apostles, they face similar challenges, uh, specifically right after Pentecost when they're preaching and all of these people are believing in Jesus and the Jewish council pulls them in, arrests them and commands them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But we see that Peter and his associates refuse to obey. In Acts 5.29, he says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Now, now, they didn't cause a rebellion here, right? They didn't say, everybody, let's go. Here we go. It's time, right? 
You didn't see that, did you? They, they, they didn't even call into question the authority of the council. They actually submitted to the institution, but they refused to stop preaching. They showed respect to their leaders, even though these men were opposed to the gospel. You guys, it's important that we respect the office even when we can't respect the person in office. And that is tough. Very, very tough. In verse 15, he tells us, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Our obedience serves God's purpose. He says, by our civil obedience, we will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Guys, there were a lot of rumors. There were a lot of things being said about Christians during this time that are just absolutely crazy. They, they, were being, they were often charged with undermining the established order. They were accused of spreading disloyalty against the government, of disrupting trade, uh, all kinds of crazy practices, including cannibalism and incest. All these things were being spread about these Christians, these Jesus followers. And he's literally saying, listen, by your law-abiding conduct, by you willingly placing yourself under submission here, you will bring to light the ignorance of these accusations. You will bring to light that, that they are untrue. And you guys, this behavior is especially important for church leaders. Uh, one of the qualifications to be an elder is that the man must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Something you don't hear talked about a lot right now, right? First Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You guys, I have, man, especially the last two years, I have tried to hang on to that verse to try and walk this difficult road, and I'm sure I've failed in many ways, but I have done my best, I know, to try and maintain a witness in this community. It's tough. It's difficult. But God has, has willed that through our good, through our honorable living, he said that will silence these critics. And guys, there's a lot being said and written right now about Christians. And some of it is absolutely crazy. But that's what's out there. And, and what is going to bring validity to it or what is going to um, make it clear that it's not true? What will do that? Our actions, our words, how we live, us living this honorable way, it will expose that those things are false. And, and after uh, verse 16 is just crazy because then he says what? He says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So hold on a second. This is confusing. He's just told us to submit, to place ourselves under the authority of others, but then he commands us to live as people who are free? That doesn't make sense. You guys, it only doesn't make sense if you don't know which freedom he's talking about. You guys, the freedom that he's talking about right here is a freedom that is exclusively rooted in Christ. That's the freedom. And you guys, this is the only freedom that you're gonna see promised in scripture to you. 
is freedom in Christ, right? As a result of Christ's redemptive work for you and for me, we are free from sin's condemnation, free from the penalty of the law, from the bondage that Satan has tried to enslave us to, from the world's control, from the power of death, all of those things, as a result of Jesus, we are free from. And so we have this incredible freedom that rests in who Jesus is. And Peter cautions his audience here not to use their freedom in Christ as a spiritual, uh, as a covering for the evil of not submitting to rulers. Guys, when when we see the freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ has never been about Uh, when we see it displayed and lived out, it's never about the person, is it? It's always for other people. It's used to impact and to reach other people. And and, and when you think about, um, uh, when we think about submitting to authority, it always comes from first submitting to Christ. Because when we submit to Christ, he uses our freedom that's only found in him, he uses it not as a weapon to be used against someone, but as a tool to build up the gospel. And our Christian freedom is displayed in our obedience to God. You guys, it's, it's a weird dynamic here. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, uh, Paul, he's exhorting the Corinthians, and he says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bond servant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bond servant of Christ. Okay, so, so their freedom has delivered them from the bondage of serving sin and brought them into the privilege of being servants or slaves of righteousness. Okay, you guys, being a servant of God is where the joyous freedom that we read about comes from. It's when we align our lives in obedience to God's will. That's when you experience freedom. You know, it's amazing. When you give your life to Jesus, there is this freedom that you feel, there is this weight that is lifted, But for many of us, we revert back into these sinful patterns and we're no longer experiencing that freedom. Why? You're still free. It's it's because your life isn't being lived out in obedience under God. And so it's actually through our obedience to his way, to his desire, to his design, that we experience the freedom that is being talked about, this freedom in Christ. Guys, How in the world do you think Christians in other parts of the world who are restricted, they're outlawed, and they're targeted by their governments, how in the world are they so free? It's because their freedom is in Christ, right? Their freedom is in Christ. And when you go visit them, they are are not the people sitting there complaining in that. They are happy. They are excited because their freedom doesn't rest in whoever's leading their nation. Their freedom is in Christ. And they display that in the most difficult of circumstances. And then in verse 17, Peter then summarizes his demand for submission when he says this. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Peter summarizes once again what this looks like. And he he summarizes it in four practical areas. First, he says, believers are to 
honor all people. Okay, they're, they're, every single person on this planet was made in the image of God and is worthy of your honor. Just because of that, you should treat them differently. Okay? The second application is that believers love the brotherhood. Okay? Now, this is the community of Jesus followers. This is the family that we've been adopted into. We are to love each other really, really well. And then third, he goes back to this fear of God, right? Believers are to fear God. This fear here, this, this, this reverential awe, when we look at God, it leads us into submitting to these earthly authorities, whoever they are. That actually leads us into that, out of obedience and reverence to him. And then finally, he says, believers are to honor the king, which kind of brings this issue full circle. You guys, ultimately, we honor every human creature and acknowledge the supreme authority of the emperor and the governors because why? They have been sent by him. And it's so tough. As, as, as Christians, uh, during this time, we have to learn how to exercise discernment in our relationship to human government. And it is so difficult, isn't it? You can nod. It really is. How do I navigate this as a Jesus follower? How do I honor and yet not go along with, right? How do I, how do I honor and yet go this in no way reflects who God is? How do I do that? There's a, there's a tension. There's a struggle in that. And so we need his help, right? Because left to our flesh, we don't want to do this. It's so hard. And it's not just with government, right? It's with our bosses. It's with a teacher. It's all these people. And, and that, that is, that's just, it's, it's not easy to live an honorable life and to model this. And so we've got to ask just some practical questions. And one is this, is our Christian example contingent on our candidate winning? Because I'll tell you what, Christians, I've observed, will use these verses on others until their candidate loses. These are the verses that we say to other people when our candidate wins, right? They've been sent by God, like, like this is what God's word says, so you need to honor them, okay? Respect the office, right? But what happens when the table's turned, right? And, and, and guys, once again, what has Peter been speaking to? Testimony, 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 our witness to those that are unsaved. And you guys, the world is watching how you respond, how you specifically respond, your community, your family, your kids, uh, your coworkers, uh, your classmates. They're watching how do you respond to leadership when it disagrees with you? How? And I think what it speaks to is this. What is my freedom resting on? What is my freedom resting on? You guys, Peter, once again, over and over again, he brings it back to who's watching and that witness. And we have to, as Jesus followers, move beyond the way culture is engaging, in particular in politics. It is the loudest wins. It's, it's, it's awful. And we, and we see this, and, 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 and we see that in relation to how we're called to walk and to be honorable. And, and, and once again, we're challenged in this. But can we honor that 
in how we look at these leaders, whoever they are. And can we also do this? Can we honorably engage with each other in a way that glorifies God, even though we have differences in opinions? Can we do that? Will we commit to doing that? Uh, We have a neighbor. Now, I always have to clarify neighbor because now, like, there's a bunch of church people that are my neighbors, so it's none of them. Um, and I just met another one and I knocked on their door because our soccer ball went in their yard. They might even be here. And they were like, Steve? And I was like, wow, hi, you go to Ecclesia. Uh, awesome. This, this neighbor does not go. This neighbor generally views the world completely different than me, completely different. And, 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 and we have had so many conversations And our relationship is so solid. In fact, I can't wait till this person gets in here. I'm working. But we're having these conversations and me and this person, we, like I said, we disagree on pretty much everything. We just do. And yet here we are, we're going on hikes together, talking about things totally different and, and, and we're at odds, right? And yet, and yet there's, there's got to be a better way, right? There's a, there's a way that is honorable that God has called me to live in my neighborhood. And he says, people are watching. And the guy knows that I'm a pastor. So he'll come every time there's something political. He'll go, so what do you think about that? You know, like what, you know, what do you got to say now? You know, and, and, and I, you know, and I love it. And my kids love him. In fact, they yell at him like, hi, neighbor. And he can't avoid us. And you know what? He loves talking. Because there's just something different when you honor someone. Right? He doesn't have to be my best friend. No. We're not doing coffee dates. Right? Maybe we should. (laughs) But you guys, I, I just feel like there is, we've allowed this to penetrate the very place that we're designed to love each other differently. And we've also started to distort what it looks like to be a witness that is honorable in a community that desperately needs Jesus. And Jesus reminds us over and over again, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That's it. Amen. Let's pray.